Hello and welcome to episode 307 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. My name is Neville Bounds and uh, on this week's show we learn that there is bad news for Heathrow as their expansion plans are thwarted yet again. Uh, there's finally some good news for Boeing and there's an impressive new flatbed for one Kiwi carrier. Uh, this week it's our final part with Captain John Hutchinson as he shares with us a signalling mishap out at sea. And Armando shares with us the latest news from Reno as he chats to George Catalano. Well, this week it's just myself and Carlos, who's in the PTUK studio. Good evening, Carlos. Hello, Nev. How are you on this fine evening? I'm, I'm here yeah, in the studio, right. uh, hopefully yeah. pressing uh, all the right buttons, well, as Matt does every week uh those of you watching may have noticed that matt's not here this week he's out having a jolly i think uh, did matt say he's in the caribbean this week again and uh, yeah. yes <laughs> i tell you what you could do us a favor and uh, stop that music playing because it's very difficult for me to talk to you a lot <laughs> oh is that still is that still playing oh yes very much so there we go how about that is that better that's a huge improvement. That's brilliant. So how are things with you, Nev? How's, uh, how's this week's um, work been? I'm guessing you haven't yeah. been flying around Europe like you normally do. No, I haven't this week. But um, I was in uh, the Holiday Inn Express in Cambridge. I, I get around a bit. Um, and all um, that we did some filming with the A320 podcast guys in the uh, A320 simulator up at Cambridge Airport, which went really well. And I was very tired at the end of it. So I thought I'll spend the next night at the hotel. But unfortunately, somebody next door had other ideas and I had about two and a half hours of racket and noise next door. So I had a word with the receptionist people and they relocated me to another room, but not after um, some delay. So it was a bit... Oh bit hard work to say the least but uh, I've just about caught up with my sleep now I'm pleased to say but um, these things happen don't they they do they do but uh, it's safe to say that uh, it's been it's been an exciting week all around I think and obviously those of you who do live in and around the UK will notice that it's got considerably cooler this week and uh, Nev we actually had some of that oh, yeah. white stuff this week did you Mm. Actually, when I left Cambridge on, when was it, the day before yesterday? Yeah. Um, the sleet had started. It was that really sort of cold and wet and yeah, yucky, dank weather. Um, so, yeah, that wasn't very nice. And, of course, this weekend we've got it all again in terms of the, the rain. So. Oh, yeah, we've got a new storm, <laughs> storm this week. Uh, oh, what was the name? What have they named this, the storm, storm for this weekend? Jorge. Oh, Jorge. Yes, from the Spanish department. Uh, now, just a point of order there. Um, I know we're leaving the uh, European Union. We've gone from D to J somehow. So, um, mm. but that's that's fair enough. So, we we'll to see what the next one is. But um, yes, but so now we're up for some 60, 70 mile an hour winds again this weekend. Uh, all very nasty. Looking and, forward uh, to that. Not quite what you want, really. So welcome, then, to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Uh, Chris Griggs, hello to you. Jenny in Rome, hello to you. Alex R., good evening. Uh, we've got Stephen H., hello to you, Stephen. 
Uh, Tony S. Hopefully I haven't missed anyone out. And everyone else who's watching uh, the live feed tonight, welcome to you all. 28th of February is a date. Uh, just coming up to five minutes past seven in the evening here in a chilly UK. Uh, so Nev, this week um, we've got the, is it the, the last you said, the last of the uh, John Hutchinson's uh, the interviews? Yes, part nine. Can you believe that it's gone on for, this will be the ninth week we've uh, been broadcasting John's uh, thoughts. Um, and well, it, it's been quite a journey. Um, and uh, the last part actually is worth listening to because um, in case you think you heard it all, there, there's some other revelations to come out of tonight's episode. Um, and the other thing is we're going to make all these episodes available as a YouTube playlist as well. So you'll be able to uh, relive the whole lot uh, at your leisure. So uh, looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, it'll be a good one tonight, that's for sure. What would you say, Nev, out of the, the, the whole kind of, you know, the whole interview uh, session you've done and stuff, what, what would you say was the highlight of the whole the whole thing obviously the finished product was the highlight but for you i think john's massive experience over you know so many years and on 70 different types of aircraft i mean you know what what a career to have um and um yeah he's been very humble and very modest about the whole thing you know and uh, you know he did say right at the beginning he, he didn't feel as though he was always a what you would call a, a natural pilot and he found some of the training particularly difficult uh, but he persevered with it and it just goes to show you doesn't it how people can succeed so well um, when they, they stick with it. So, um, but I think probably John would say that the highlight of his career was, you know, the best part of 15 years on Concorde um, in the left-hand seat. So, you know, that, that takes a bit of beating by any measure, but the, uh, the types of aircraft he's flown, he's flown is just uh, phenomenal. I must admit, Nev, I was up in the, in the loft at home um, this week retrieving a, a suitcase uh, for the, the wife that is Gemma. And uh, I found my box up there, which has got more my sort of aviation bits and memorabilia. And I've, I've got up there my little Concorde notepad and Concorde pencil uh, up there, yeah. which is uh, um, I'm going to leave up there, I think. Yes, well, that'd be nice. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, I've got a Concorde pencil sharpener somewhere, um, which is th the shape of the aircraft. And there's four... Or is it two? No, there's four pencil sharpeners at the back, which is where the engines are. So, um, yeah, quite nice. Have you have you got your, any uh, memorabilia yourself, Nev? From uh, the, the not much. Then? No, bit, bits and pieces, uh, the odd key ring and the odd, mm. you know, bits and pieces here and there. Again, probably up in the loft somewhere. But uh, yeah, I've not uh, not done as much as I should have done, really. But so uh, there's there's plenty of memorabilia online as well. There's no shortage of parts, you know, uh, instruments and seats and all sorts of stuff. Perhaps that's something I need to look into. I need to get uh, need to buy an aircraft seat to have in the office at home to go with the I'm simulator sure. and stuff. Yeah, I'm sure Jim will be delighted with that. <laughs> On the note of that, actually, Sims, I've been, uh, those of you who watch the show will probably know that I'm a big lover of X-Plane 11, and I've been uh, playing quite uh, quite intensely on X-Plane 11 for the last few weeks and um, flying into various airports around the world. And I have to say, I've been looking very closely at the uh, new Microsoft flight sim that's coming out hopefully later this year. They keep pushing the date Ooh. back that every five minutes. Um, but I've been looking at some of the, uh, the up-to-date screen grabs and video grabs of the uh, new Microsoft flight sim. I've got to say, Nev, 
honestly, if you've not, you've got to look at this because the the graphics on this new flight sim that Microsoft are bringing out are just it's, it just baffles the mind. I know that they've uh, I've seen some of the previews of it and uh, the texturing and the layering and the, and the way they've done the scenery and the detail is absolutely phenomenal isn't it so um yeah definitely worth um hanging on for it when it's when's it supposed to be coming out is it later in the year did you Yeah say? it's it's going to be I think they they're looking at they were saying around about September time this year I think was when they were going to try and release yeah. it but that changes all the time my oh, only yeah. worry uh, as you can probably guess now, is the fact that when I when I got X-Plane 11, uh, I got that and upgraded my laptop to a gaming laptop. My only worry is now that when they bring out this latest version, the, you know, the Microsoft latest version of Flight Sim, that I'm going to have to invest in an even more powerful laptop to um, to to run the I game. I think you will. <laughs> yes, there uh, is an inevitability about that, isn't there? Actually, before before we start, Nev, um, you, you've purchased something new, haven't you, this week? Oh, I did, <laughs> yes, a couple of new things. Um, uh, my good old trusty iMac 27-inch uh, has found a new home now. I just, just sold that this afternoon because uh, all the video and audio editing I do, um, you know, it's taken its toll on it a little bit. It's not quite as fast as it used to be. So I replaced it with a brand spanking new 27-inch uh, iMac, uh, which is extremely fast, I must say. <laughs> just shows you how quickly things move on in five years. And also I've got a 4K webcam as well, um, which is of no use to us what because we're transmitting in uh, 720p for the most time most part but you know it looks the business and there's a nice nice thick cable coming out the back as well so um but um yeah so um very pleased with all that it's all working nicely although the studio is in a bit of a mess i need to tidy it up a bit but um cable yeah, so very, very pleased with that uh, there is no cable management it is a disaster at the moment oh, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll have it all fixed uh, later on i'm sure well, we better start things then, as we do each week, with a rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Nev? Yes, yes, yes. Let's go. You know, one day I'll get used to all this tech stuff, Nev. Obviously, Matt makes it look so easy every week. He does, yeah. really makes it look easy. <laughs> so on the first news story on this week's show, then, this one is on the Bloomberg.com uh, website. Mm. And the headline, Heathrow Runway in Doubt, as uh, ad blockers come up on the screen. Yes, there's plenty of those on I know. this one, isn't there? So Heathrow Runway in doubt as government won't appeal legal. Now, I saw this this week, and I've, I was quite surprised, actually, considering the amount of planning and everything that's gone into this whole uh, third runway at Heathrow. But the story, uh, London Heathrow's expansion plans face further delays after environmental activists won an appeal over third runway that Europe's busiest airport says it needs to boost flights and compete with rival hubs. Appeal court judges overturned a decision uh, from May in 
in favour of the project on Thursday, saying the UK government failed to take full account of international agreements on climate change when it backed the proposal. The ruling cast new doubt on a $20 billion project delayed for decades amid concerns about aircraft noise, increased pollution, the demolition of homes and the impact on crowded roads. Prime Minister Boris Johnson, he's a legend, isn't he, opposed the runway plan, but when he was a um, uh, London mayor and the government said that it won't appeal the court's ruling. It also uh, says that it's undecided on whether to revisit a strategic plan identified by the court as lacking in proposals for cutting carbon emissions. They said that we've always been clear that Heathrow expansion is a private sector project which must mean, uh, meet strict criteria on air quality, noise and climate change, Transport Secretary Grant Schnapp said in a statement. The court judgment is complex and requires careful consideration. Heathrow said it will seek to appeal uh, to the Supreme Court and that any issues are eminently flexible or fixable. Uh, since the original hearing in the UK, aviation industry has produced detailed plans for reaching zero net emission carbon emissions by 2050, while the airport itself published proposals this week, a spokesman said. Nev, come on, your thoughts. I mean, we've, we've been on, on about for, uh, for a while now about obviously the, the third runway and obviously we've, we've very good mm. friends with uh, certain members at Heathrow who uh, are kind of yeah. looking forward to this happening. Um, is this not going to happen now? Well, I think it is going to happen, and we've been they've been talking about it for 20 years. I think the year 2000, I think I'm right in saying, was when it was first looked at. Um, I think it's just a question of when it gets built, not if it gets built. And if you think about the aircraft that are flying in and out of the current two runways, all the NEO aircraft, all of the 787s, um, all of the A350 types, you know, these are producing far less emissions than they ever used to produce. And Heathrow and all of the people that operate in and out there have done a lot of work to try and reduce delays going in and out as well. So without the third runway, you just got aircraft going around in one of the four holds for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, burning more fuel guess what that does you know um so i think that they should just get on with it um and if this had been well other countries that we might think of in europe i'm thinking france and germany for example they would have just got it built um now i know that we've got space issues here at heathrow uh, for example it's not you know, there's a lot of local villages around and i'm not saying that you know you should just build it for the sake of it but this has been going on an awful long time now and something's got to happen because uh what will happen in fact it's already happening is that the hub airport status that heathrow has um, will just vanish and it'll be skipol frankfurt Charles de gaulle uh, madrid possibly um that will be the the hub airports and they'll take the business so um especially in this critical time of us um leaving the European Union too. So um, I think it's just a question of time, but it's got to go through to the Supreme Court, I would expect, and that's going to take some months, isn't it? Don't you think, though, Nev, that a lot of these people who um, complain and, and moan and, and whinge about um, this whole third runway thing, a big portion of these people who moan probably get on aircraft at Heathrow to go on their summer holidays? Uh, they may well do. Um, and... 
uh, I don't, you know, I, I try very hard not to get into any politics on this show, as you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just find myself on, on the edge here a little bit because, um, yeah, there, there's some double standards going on here and there, I, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, aviation uh, and tourism, it's back in the day, I mean, a long time ago when traveling was pretty expensive, it, it was a nice to have. But now tourism represents a very large chunk of um, the um, aviation traffic and also from the business and commercial part of the way countries work these days. So, you know, I, I, it's just, just as important as it ever was. So, um, and from the business point of view, yeah, I know that there's video conferencing and, you know, my company's involved with, with that kind of thing as well, but you do need to go and see people from time to time. And, um, you know, that, that I think probably, you know, the shorter routes, in fact, I was talking to a, uh, a pilot from a very well-known British airline uh, just this week and he was saying you know the worst route or most difficult route for them is Heathrow to Manchester because it's a, a 35 minute flight you know door to door roughly speaking uh, and then you've got a you know 25 minute delay going out probably for a slot um, then you've got holding perhaps then you've got some weather then you can't get a stand at the other end so you know the Heathrow to Manchester route you know on an A320 or an A319 yeah, it does seem a little bit pointless and maybe some, you know, there are some rail options there, which one might want to look at. But yeah, I mean, this, this problem is just not going to go away. It's been going on for, say, the best part of 20 years and uh, I'm expecting it to go on for a little bit longer yet. So from that uh, story about runways, on to the next story, Nev, which is for you. And uh, for anyone who loves a room with a view, um, well, this story kind of doesn't. Uh, well, no, indeed. And it's on the, the Scottish Sun uh, this time. Um, and it says that uh, a Ryanair passenger has demanded a refund after he paid extra for a seat by a window, only to discover his row didn't have one. Uh, annoyed customer Marcos uh, Molina took to Twitter to express his frustration at having paid extra for a window seat that didn't come with a window view. Um, I don't know if you've got a picture of this, uh, Carlos, yeah, but bring it up on the screen. Um, yes, um, uh, but also um, I'm just looking at some of the upholstery in, the, in this picture as well. It's not uh, not exactly well what I would call very high quality. Um, <laughs> but um, these things do happen from time to time. Now, of course, my screen is frozen at this point for some reason. I don't know why. We've got some some gremlins coming into my uh, my brand new computer here. But uh, it does say that Marcus, who lives in Germany. Uh, shared his travel fail online on Thursday after flying from Berlin to Ireland. Uh, he told Dublin Live, it's super annoying because the whole point of paying extra is to get those little upgrades. You know, you pay more to be more comfortable, or at least uh, as comfortable as it can be on the cramped plane. Uh, the Puerto Rican said he had to pay extra for his return journey because he'd been booked onto the same seat going back. He is now calling for Ryanair to refund him the money he spent on the seat. Uh, Ryanair charges customers more to guarantee some seats, including those with extra legroom or ones that are closer to the front of the plane. Uh, it's difficult to tell through the Ryanair website which seats are on the rows actually have windows next to them. But the budget airline said customers are advised that there are no windows 
during the process. Uh, a spokesman from Ryanair told The Sun Online, there are three seats on all Boeing next generation 737-800s that do not have windows. Customers who choose to purchase these seats are advised of this fact during the booking process on the website. So... Windows, I mean, it is nice to have a window seat. I will admit yeah. it is nice to have a window seat. I'm, I'm slightly gutted that uh, on the way out to um, Charlotte in June, we're in a centre row, so we won't have a window seat, which is a bit annoying. But uh, I, I refuse to pay American Airlines ridiculous fees to, to, um, to choose a seat uh, near the window. But How much do they want, uh, roughly speaking? Well, I say ridiculous. It, it, it worked out. It was uh, £67 each extra oh, on top to sit near the window. That's a tank of diesel, isn't it? It is a tank of diesel, yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but on the way back, we are, so that's fine. But it is nice to have right. a window seat because, <laughs> I mean, we all, we all love to look out the window and see the you know, mm. full HD um, yeah. you know, view out of the window. Um, and it's, it is rare to have, I mean, it depends, I think, a lot, Neb, on how the airlines um, put, you know, sit, you know, put the seats and have the seats fitted in the aircraft because there are some mm. airlines, even wide-bodied aircraft, where you, you do get a seat that doesn't, doesn't have a window. I mean, if you sit on an overwing yeah. exit seat, as we all know, overwing exit seats, you know, um, on, on some airlines, on some of the larger, the wide-bodied airlines, where the centre, um, the overwing exits, or uh, their actual main, their actual doors, rather full-size doors, and have the small, yeah. very small window in. But um, is it important for you, Nev, to have a window seat on your flight? It's, it's, yeah, it's nice, but I mean, it's not a showstopper, you know. Um, and certainly, most of the flights I do within Europe are, you know, less than a couple of hours, so it's, it's not a big deal. Um, but yeah, it's nice to have. But if I haven't got one, you know, I'm not I'm not that worried about it. To be honest with you. Good evening, guys. Uh, sorry, I'm not on the show this week. I'm traveling again, but I did want to get one story out that came across some of the pilot forums. Uh, I did find an article on the Points Guy. Uh, regional airline name familiar to many travelers and smaller communities will be gone by the end of the year when Trans-States Airlines stops flying. The demise of Trans-States Airlines will have no impact on passengers as 36 of its Embraer ERJ-145 jets will be transferred to ExpressJet Airlines by the end of 2020. Both ExpressJet and Trans-States Airlines operate feeder flights for United Airlines under the United Express brand. The shutdown was communicated to Trans-States Airlines employees in a letter from parent uh, Trans-States Holdings uh, CEO Rick Leach on Monday that was uh, received by the Points Guy, and it was also posted publicly. The move does not impact partners uh, Compass Airlines or GoJet Airlines, which are also owned by Trans-States Holdings. Uh, St. Louis-based Trans-States Airlines fell victim to several factors that have wreaked havoc on regional airlines over the past few years. The industry-wide pilot shortage made hiring difficult, and a move by its mainline partner, United, to streamline its regional providers drove the decision to close the airline. Uh, the CEO said, in recent years, the regional aviation landscape has changed dramatically and continues to do so. Our industry has never been more competitive, and the margins for success at the regional level are razor thin. We have come to the extremely difficult decision that an organized, and well-planned wind-down of the Trans-States operation is the most viable course of action. Now, Trans-States Airlines spokeswoman Stacey Ross confirmed the plan to shut down by year's end. A separate statement from ExpressJet confirmed that they will add the carrier's 36 ERJ-145s to their fleet by February of 2021. Other regional airlines have fallen victim to this 
pilot shortage. Uh, Republic Airways cited hiring issues in 2016 uh, after its Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing. Great Lakes Aviation shut down entirely in 2018. All of the major carriers are in the process of consolidating their regional flying. Delta Airlines unveiled plan to end its relationships with Compass Airlines and GoJet Airlines in July amid a move to a partner with just three regional carriers. So United, while not naming Trans States Airlines specifically, told employees in a separate memo that a series of fleet movements at its United Express partners would occur in 2020. Uh, they said fleet movements between regional carriers are not uncommon. These changes will not impact any United mainline flying or staffing, said the Chicago-based carrier. Um, they continued on, these transitions will improve our efficiency and set up United and our partners for an even better operation moving forward. Uh, United did expand its flying agreement w uh, for the Bombardier CRJ 550 with GoJet this month. The regional uh, carrier will operate 20 more of the 50-seat jets that include a first-class cabin, and it expects to have a total of 74 aircraft by the end of 2021. So when Trans States Airlines finally stops flying, it will be the end of a nearly 40-year history that included partnerships with storied names like Trans World Airlines or TWA. Um, founded in 1982, Trans States flew as TWA Express until uh, 1985 when the merger with American happened. It also had partnerships with Delta Airlines and U.S. Air, which later became U.S. Airways. So um, this, you know, is evident that uh, while it, it, the industry is seemingly in a good place right now, there's always uh, movement and there's always changes happening. And um, while the the industry is doing well, sometimes the, the, the management and the financial uh, status of a company really determines, um, you know, its future. And, and here for trans states, they just didn't have, they can't keep enough captains, you know, and that may go to some of the uh, comparisons when, when captains or, or pilots are looking at different airlines to fly with. Um, some of the benefits and the pay and things like that. So they, they may elect to choose other airlines. So uh, Trans States Airlines has 42 aircraft. That's a, a pretty big staff. Um, so as as always, uh, we wish everyone at, uh, at Water Ski the best in, in winding down this operation and, and finding success in wherever they happen to land next. Sad news, Nev, uh, obviously, and um, uh, I just hope that uh, all the um, staff and the pilots and the crews sort of get moved across to uh, to the other airline. Yeah, I know. It's uh, a recurring theme, isn't it? Every mm. year there's, uh, there's more um, woe, tales of woe for airlines that have gone out of business or, or, you know, parts of airlines that are no longer operating. But, uh, yeah, bit of a um, bit of a shocker, I must say, uh, because it's uh, it's been a well, well-known well airline for, for a number of years. Mm. Um, so, but, yeah, there we are. So, Nev, the next story for you. And uh, this one is, for a change, this week, uh, we, are, we are doing a good news story for Boeing. Yes, we are. And uh, this hasn't happened for a while. Um, so, you know, let, let's celebrate it. Um, it says that uh, Boeing uh, secured its first commercial jet order 
of the calendar year this week, ending its order drought in a deal that includes nearly a dozen jets to be made in North Charleston. Uh, All Nippon Airways said that Wednesday uh, it will purchase as many as 20 787 Dreamliners. The ANA order includes 11 787-10s, which is the only model to be built exclusively at uh, Boeing's campus off International Boulevard. One will be the shorter Dash 9 version. Uh, Japanese carrier said it plans to buy three 787-9s from a subsidiary of uh, Soljits Corporation uh, and has option to purchase five more. At the list prices, uh, 20 wide bodies are valued at more than $5 billion uh, but buyers typically negotiate discounts. If ANA acquires all 20 of them, it will bring the airline 787 infantry to more than 103. Uh, ANA already has 71 Dreamliners in, in its fleet and is waiting on a dozen more to be delivered prior to the newest order. Uh, the Japanese air travel market has been highly valuable to the Dreamliner program, with ANA being the first carrier to ever place an order for the aircraft, and it has made five additional orders since then. Uh, ANA's uh, executive vice president specifically called out the South Carolina made Dash 10 as a fitting replacement for the older Boeing 777s. The airline will be retiring, retiring from its domestic routes in Japan. New order is a boost for Boeing following a low point last month when the plane maker logged no new orders and delivered just 13 jets. Meanwhile, its competitor Airbus netted 274 commercial airplane orders in January. Also last month, uh, Boeing announced a second production cut for the Dreamliner program after scaling back from the current rate of 14 jets a month to 12 later this year. The company will reduce the number to 10 starting in early 2021. Boeing cited trade tensions with China as the main reasons for the cuts, but more recently the coronavirus outbreak has called, caused more concern about working with Chinese airline customers. Uh, production of the Dreamliner is split between Boeing, South Carolina in North Charleston and a uh, West Coast plant in Eugene, uh, Washington. So that's uh, some good news for a change, isn't it? About time too. Yeah, it certainly is. We need uh, we need some good news for uh, for Boeing. And uh, you know, having travelled on the Dreamliner, you know, I I, I mm. I'm a fan. Um, but I will say, Nev, I'm, I'm going to you know go off. I've said this before on the show. It, that that three fifty dash one thousand was very nice. <laughs> yes, that will um, on a three-week-old aircraft or whatever it was when we went on it. That was just fantastic, wasn't it? I really enjoyed that. Um, and I was talking to some pilots this week in the sim uh, where I was filming, and uh, a couple of them hadn't been on the 350 yet. And I said, "You've got to go on it because just it's just so quiet and so relaxing." So um, yeah, looking forward to another opportunity at some point. But nonetheless, uh, good to see that A and A will have. Um, uh, deliveries totalling 103 mm. 787s. That, that's quite something, isn't it? That'll keep them busy anyway. The uh, the various plants yeah. and all the bits and pieces. So it's good. Yeah. It's good news for. But I think they they could do with some good news um, uh, this year. Mm. So moving Definitely. on to the next story. This one is on uh, one of uh, Neb's favourite reads, the uh, Mirror. .co.uk, and uh, the headline on here this week: uh, EasyJet cancels flights and sends workers home uh, unpaid as uh, the coronavirus slashes profits. So here we go. It's 
So we've gone on, we've gone from the max now. We're going on about the coronavirus each week. So the carrier has introduced a pay freeze for workers with non-mandatory training, suspended and unpaid leave offered to staff after it had to cancel flights due to the deadly virus. Uh, budget airline EasyJet has warned it has cancelled flights and introduced emergency cost cuts to help mitigate the financial impact of the coronavirus outbreak. It said that the spread of the illness had caused a drop in demand for flights in and out of Italy and across Europe. Uh, the announcement came uh, just this week, just after 48 hours after German carrier Lufthansa revealed it's offering all workers unpaid leave in a bid to curb coronavirus losses. So that's interesting, Lufthansa. Uh, offering uh, unpaid leave. I mean, I don't know how, many, how many people are going to snap unpaid leave up? But uh, the airline, whose shares have fallen 15% this week, uh, has grounded 13 aircraft and cancelled all flights uh, to and from the Chinese mainland, uh, mainland until March. That's Lufthansa. Uh, in a statement on Friday, EasyJet uh, said that it will be making decisions to cancel some flights, particularly those into and out of Italy, uh, while continuing to monitor the situation and adapting our flying program to support our demand. The carrier has introduced a pay freeze for workers with non-mandatory training suspended uh, and unpaid leave offered to members of staff. While it uh, is too early to determine what the impact of the COVID-19 outbreak will be on the current year, outlook and guidance for both the airline and industry business, holiday business, uh, they said here that they continue to monitor the situation carefully and will update the market in due course, said EasyJet. EasyJet is working closely with authorities and are the following the guidelines provided by the World Health Organization, EASA, to maintain and ensure the health and well-being of people and customers, the company added. EasyJet said it would uh, reorganize its summer 2020 flights to maximize revenue for when the market recovers. If you have a flight booked with the airline, uh, you can check for updates and revise schedules on the EasyJet website. If your flight is cancelled by the company, you will have to contact, uh, they will contact you as soon as possible with updates and alternative travel arrangements. Um, it's obviously, Nev, one of the things we talk about and say enough on this show is whenever you book a flight or book holidays or anything like that abroad, what's that essential thing that you buy as well to go alongside? Some euros for oh. your duty free. <laughs> for the Sorry, stick of no, travel insurance. Travel insurance, of course. Travel yes. insurance. But I will say they have been saying this week on a, quite a few of the uh, the websites uh, that you must all, all uh, always make sure you check the fine print and the bits and pieces on the travel insurance policies that you have because there is a big difference between many insurance policies holding insurance policies out there if you do look at the fine print because some will not cover you for certain things such as this particular coronavirus update so i think for most of us we'll have all got uh, either annual holiday insurance or a lot of us take out holiday insurance as and when needed but um, for most part uh, most of the big um, insurance companies uh, within the uk here especially um, the, the the kind of uh, the bigger policies will cover for, for most uh, things like this. But uh, Nev, I'm guessing you're fully covered for uh, for the year? Uh, yes, I just bought some actually the other day. It only cost me, um, it's £55 for the whole year. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think the other thing is that the things that are happening now is that very large events are being cancelled. So just to talking today on Friday, the Geneva Motor Show has been cancelled for this year. 
And that is a massive show. And a lot of people in my industry, in the AV industry, audiovisual industry, are involved with that because they're putting big LED walls onto the booths there. So, you know, the the biggest manufacturers you can think of will be there. And, of course, most people are already there um, building booths and what what have you. So, but also the hit on the economy uh, will be massive because think about the number of hotel rooms and, and dinners and stuff like that that get bought. So, yeah, uh, this this has got a bit to, to play out yet. I, I don't think people should be pressing the panic button, um, but there's some clearly some when there's very large events on. Um, for example, if the show that I attended uh, at the start of February was in March. Um, it would not surprise me if, if they would have cancelled it. Um, although, of course, at the start of February when I went, um, there wasn't the amount of difficulty that there currently is. So um, we'll see what happens. But uh, it, it's, yeah, as I said, it's also got to play out, uh, first of all. So from the chat room, uh, Tony S has quite rightly said that uh, he doesn't think travel insurance will pay out if you don't want to go because of fear of a virus. Uh, only if the foreign office advise against travel. Jenny in Rome has also said that disclination to travel is not accepted. Uh, I think that the three policies that I looked at online um, all said that, uh, actually all three of them said that if you just choose not to bother to go because you're scared that you might, you know, go somewhere where you might catch this, you won't get paid out. That all the insurance policies that I looked at online did say that if the airline turns around and cancels your flight because of what's happening, then you'll get your money back. But I think for the majority of people, Nev, if you book with a credit card, I think you're fairly well covered, I think, don't you, Nev? Yes, um, and it's the credit card company that will deal with that for you. Um, but um, And also, if you're a British traveller, uh, taking the advice of the FCO, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, on their website... Um, it tells you all about the, the current travel advisories around the world. And that tends to be a good thing as well. So if you see something on there, it's always worth taking a screenshot of, of stuff as well because that uh, FCO advice just does change from time to time. Also, before we move on, just quickly, I mean, I've always been one to, in the previous years, to buy a, a policy as and when I need it uh, for holidays and stuff abroad hmm. but in the last few years i have brought an annual policy which when you add it up actually does work out to be better value nev it does yeah yeah definitely um so and the, it's a multi-trip um and even you know if you exclude or if you included uh, north america with some of that as well um it, it's not very much more expensive so if you're thinking that you're going to be doing some traveling to the u.s it, it's definitely worth taking it, i think tony i totally agree with you uh, we just hope that none of the air shows get cancelled this year. <laughs> so moving on to the next story, Nev. And uh, this next story is about a certain destination and an airport that I um, do know quite well. You do. You should be reading the story, really, shouldn't you? But <laughs> I, I will do it for you. Um, this is on the trbusiness.com, which is the uh, travel retail business.com. It says that uh, Malta International Airport is embarking on a radical program to increase its passenger capacity and improve customer experience with an expansion of its footprint from 18,000 square metres to 31.2, sorry, 31,200 square metres. Uh, the check in hall, security area, and departures will all benefit from the transformation, uh, whilst the airport says that it will be placing great emphasis on enhancing the passenger experience 
and the sharing of a dis distinct sense of place. The terminal planning elements incorporate a more natural and effective passenger journey through the terminal, thereby enhancing passenger flow and exposure uh, to the retail offers, says the airport. Uh, the airside and landside developments will involve the introduction of new retail and catering units for both departing and arriving passengers. The plan also aims to improve the amount of natural light coming into the terminal and incorporates a distinct sense of the location, celebrating the spirit, heritage and natural beauty of Malta. Uh, the airport's investment programme uh, also incorporates new developments across the airport estate, including the development of the apron, the construction of an additional business park, which is called Sky Parks 2, and the building of a new hotel. In addition, the introduction of smart technologies, including a new building management system to enable energy and water management optimization to support the development of an energy efficient building. Uh, supported by uh, airport design and planning experts, the design solution and consultants Pragma, the 100 million euro development reaches comprehensively across all aspects of the airport's operations and every touch point in the passenger journey. Uh, Alan Borg, who's the CEO of the airport, outlined the airport's long-term development vision. He says, having officially unveiled the terminal expansion project to the public in January, we're now eager to kickstart the next phase of this ambitious project. The terminal expansion project will equip us with the capacity to handle further traffic growth and enable us to offer a five-star airport experience. This will be achieved through a combination of increased operational space, a superb, uh, a superior retail offering, a stronger sense of place and the use of cutting-edge technologies. Uh, Graham Johns, who's the director at the Design Solution, outlined the architectural plan at the airport. He says that the design solution has a long history of partnership with a dedicated team at the airport and we are proud to have been selected to support them on this major phase of the airport's development. Uh, the plan incorporates three main areas of expansion to the terminal, collectively enabling us to implement a change of image to the exterior appearance of the building, which uh, carefully coordinated with our planning input will help deliver a smarter flow and a new experience for the passenger. Um, the uh, airport registered a passenger growth of 7.9% in 2019, uh, which is up uh, 7.31 million uh, and supported by 20 new destinations. Its role is host to 97% of the island's tourist traffic, making it a crucial contributor to the Maltese economy, says the airport operator. Well, that's very good news, isn't it? The last time I was in Malta was um, 2000 and. 10 i think or 11 um and yes it could do with a bit of a spruce up and it was all a bit quite busy when i was there um but it's great to see there's some big expansion plans going on now for me as you know a, a, a fairly frequent visitor to the island of malta it mm. uh, holds a very special place in my heart especially even more so now uh, after my grandfather passed away um, because it was also his um, special place as well. Um, but I have to say that, you know, I cast my mind back, Nev, to when I was four or five years old, my first time flying into Malta, when it was a, a brick building, a, a tin shack shed, a tractor and a trailer, and uh, a small passport control uh, table uh, entering the island. And, and that was back in the 707 days, actually, when now Malta Gosh. flew the 707. Wow. Um but I have to say, in the last, especially in the last four years, 
the air like the airport itself has has undergone some pretty hefty uh, changes and expansion mm. and uh, they i have to say now last year flying through and going through the airport itself seamless absolutely seamless the luggage was there yeah. uh passport control was nice and quick um uh, the only thing that that uh, luca airport doesn't have is the air bridges um for aircraft you know you have to walk down the steps yeah. and get bussed off um but uh, they are in the process of um making some big improvements to to the airport at the moment i know myself from from being out there last year um one of which is moving the rental car car park to a completely other end of the airport but uh, be interesting to see what happens here I'm looking forward to this and um my only concern uh about this whole expansion thing if they do with the airport to bring more people in is that malta is a small island as you know mm. a very small island and is all also already very popular um bear in mind many years ago people used to think of malta as a bit of a boring place to go but it is one of the very um booming places to go in in europe now so um yeah i'm just a bit worried it might get a little bit too congested nev um if this mm. happens but there you go Yes, and um, I'm just looking up on Wikipedia, as one does. Um, back at, This goes back to 2017, but the um, busiest international routes out of the airport uh, are Gatwick, uh, number one, uh, Rome, uh, number two, Frankfurt, Catania, Brussels, Munich, Manchester, Heathrow, Istanbul, and Orly, Paris Orly. Um, and these are huge numbers, and Air Malta flies to all of them apart from uh, Istanbul. Um, so it's a very, very, you know, it's a really, really important uh, hub, uh, for, sorry, well, destination for people mm. to go to. But as you say, um, very easy to be overloaded, I would imagine, yeah. uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, and also the 777 flights that come in there one uh, few times, uh, three or four times, times a week from Dubai as well. So mm. it's, now I'm right in saying it's a bit like Gibraltar, isn't it? it it's it's shared with the military uh, Luca Airport as well, isn't it? Yeah, they have their own uh, part of the uh, the base or part of the base, part of the airport itself. Um, yeah. They also have they also have a runway which they use as, as well. Um, mm. um, but they they are, the uh, the military side is in the older part of the airport where the older buildings oh, yeah. are, and that's actually yeah. where they hold the air show, which will be this year. Um, is on the old part of the airport, so it doesn't interfere, oh. interfere with the uh, running so much of the main airport. So yeah. So moving on Excellent. to the next story, and uh, this next story, for those of you who love your comfort while flying and can't afford first class or business class seats, uh, this one is on the Sam Chewy. We do love Sam Chewy. Uh, SamChewy.com aviation and travel site. And uh, the headline, Air New Zealand to launch flatbed in economy. Hmm. So Air New oh. Zealand... Uh, have unveiled a new economy cabin sleeping pod for its long-haul planes. The sleep pods, called the Sky Nest, uh, would offer lie flat beds for some economy passengers who pay extra to access it. There would be only six on each plane. Oh, I can see the fights appearing now. Uh, Air New Zealand's long-haul planes typically carry at least 200 economy passengers. Uh, Air New Zealand Skynest uh, flatbed, which obviously is going to be an economy, uh, is a product which is still in its research phase. Air New Zealand said it would make a final decision about the implementation in late 2021. Uh, the Skynest appears similar to the crew rest areas uh, on long-haul aircraft, which allow pilots and flight attendants to sleep between duty shifts. It's not immediately clear when the Sky 
Play or Skynest would uh, go live, but the airline said it is still researching where to place it in the economy cabin. It will be considering moving several rows of seats if necessary. The Skynest product comes as Air New Zealand prepares to launch its new longest flight, a 17-hour non-stop between Auckland and Newark. The service schedule to begin in late October 2020. Air New Zealand's long-haul aircraft, a mix of 777-787 Dreamliners, have between 215 and 263 economy seats. The airline said that only one Skynest unit will be included on each aircraft, meaning six beds for more than 200 passengers. Hmm, blimey, Nev, could be a bit whiffy. Uh, the, airline said <laughs> the airline said that the pods could be purchased along with the seat reservation, so presumably only six passengers will have the option to use the pods. Hmm. So in 2011, Air New Zealand introduced something called Sky Couch, a row of three economy seats which can fold forward to create a completely flat space. One big enough for two people to sleep next to each other side by side. And I think we covered that earlier on, I think last year. Mm. I think we covered that story, didn't we? What do you think, yeah. Nev? Come on, what do you think of these, uh, these the Sky Nest, as this is called? Well, um, I think... Yeah, the airlines have got to do something different, haven't they, really? Um, and it's an interesting concept, and I think they've just got to try it to see how it works and obviously to see what, what the fares are going to be and this kind of stuff. But I, I think it's worth a go, definitely, uh, because um, it's the one thing that, you know, economy class just you know, has a real problem with in terms of sleeping, I think. Although I know friends of mine that go on an eight-hour economy class flight to uh, the US and they sleep for six and a half hours of it, you know, which I, I could never do myself. But, um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. And um, um, it'll be interesting to see whether how Sam gets on with it. Sam Chewy uh, is the um, correspondent on this one. And, uh, yeah, let, let's see what the score is and, and also what, what the fare structure is going to be. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see just what the uh, the fights will, uh, will be like for this when, uh, obviously... The, the the mad scramble to book these particular uh, lay flat beds when they come up yeah. for about six though Nev it's a bit um, you think they'd increase that a little bit though wouldn't you yes you got to know people quite well haven't you or you <laughs> if you didn't at the beginning you would at the end that's for sure so moving on to the next story Nev this one for you um and this is um uh, this is cabin crew waving their finger at you. Oh, yes. Uh, it's on simpleflying.com. And United Airlines has sent a notice to its flight attendants regarding the airline's uh, Boeing 787 Dreamliner aircraft windows. The staff have been reminded to not centrally lock the electronically dimmable windows, which are it says it's the EDWs. Uh, the Chicago-based carrier wants its passengers to be able to allow as much light in as they want. Uh, one of the several standout features on the Dreamline is its, is its transition windows. Uh, the level of shade can be adjusted electronically to suit the preference of those sitting next to them. The feature difference differs from standard plane windows that usually have shades that can be pulled down to block light glaring in. Rather than having 
all light or no light, window seat passengers can transition the dimness to a sweet spot that they want with these electronic dimmable windows. Uh, additionally, uh, Gizmodo reports that the windows have a height of 19 inches, around 65% larger than their counterparts. This allows for spectacular views to be seen uh, whilst daydreaming on a flight. On several aircraft, crew often ask passengers to keep their window shades down or have them up at several at different times of the flight. However, on 787s, flight attendants don't have to manually adjust every shade as they can just lock them to one setting centrally. With this in mind, United has asked its employees not to be so strict with the settings. Um, and some passengers would prefer the settings to be locked to a dim level to ensure that blinding light doesn't make its way in. However, other travellers would prefer to have the option to be able to see outside. Aircraft windows have been purposely designed to be at eye level and help offering a feeling of openness to reduce sensitive situations such as anxiety whilst on a plane. Therefore, these flyers will welcome United stance. The use of these windows has been largely well received. One of the companies that helped implement this technology is Gentex. Uh, this firm has also been consulted to introduce uh, EDWs on Boeing's upcoming 777X. Therefore, it looks like the design could become a standard for more aircraft by the time the decade is over. Simple Flying reached out to United for comment on this notice. A spokesperson replied by informing that the airline often provides helpful tips to its flight attendants and that this notice was simply a reminder. Hmm. Hmm. Oh dear. Window shaming. Uh, oh dear. Have, have you, have have you had the chance to... You've, you've flown the Dreamliner, Nev. Have you flown yeah. the Dreamliner? Yeah. yeah. Have you had the yeah. chance to have a play with these uh, these windows? I did, yeah. Uh, and I uh, irritated my uh, colleague who was sitting next to me massively because uh, I was playing with the thing for the most of the flight. But, um, yeah, it, it, this is always the problem, isn't it? You know, some people want to look out the window, like me, usually, um, except when I'm trying to sleep, then obviously that it's good to try and have the, uh, the window shade down, isn't it? But um, there's no one answer to this, whether it's a manual window or an electronic one like this, you're going to get people that have different requirements, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I must say, I, the, the, on the uh, Dreamliners that I've flown on with, with BA and stuff, they are good, don't get me wrong, they, they, are, they do look good and they're nice to have a play with, but the ones that I've, mm. um, that I've had the chance to press the little touch button on, that they are quite slow, Nev, at their transition. Yes, they aren't, they? Yeah, mm. yeah, I agree. Yeah. So next story, uh, this one is on simpleflying.com, and uh, well, headline, downgraded United passengers. United again? God, Brian Cullen will love this week's episode. So uh -huh. downgraded United passengers hit the jackpot. Blimey, he will be happy with a $100,000 compensation. That's not bad. United Airlines passengers hit the jackpot. Uh, last weekend when the airline gave out $100,000 in compensation for being downgraded. The flight between Newark and Honolulu was short on business, short on business class seats and as mm. such 10 passengers were asked to take premium economy seats instead. Each passenger received a cool $10,000 for their troubles. So according to uh, a view from the wing, a United Airlines flight, number 363, was due to travel from Newark to Honolulu on Saturday and was slated to be operated by a Boeing 777. 
However, at the last minute, the airline switched out the 777 for a Boeing 767-300. This meant there were fewer business class seats on board. As such, United looked for 10 volunteers willing to downgrade their seats. However, it wasn't a full downgrade to economy, as this aircraft offered a premium plus cabin option. While United wasn't actively selling any premium economy seats on the route, the mid-level seats were on board and waiting for willing volunteers. Not only was United willing to seat its displaced passengers in premium economy for the flight, seats which come with a footrest and extra legroom, it was also willing to pay the compensation too. Compensation worth $100,000 between the 10 passengers. This meant that each willing passenger had an okay seat for the 10-hour flight to Honolulu and managed to bank the $10,000 in compensation. And I think we can all agree we'd have been at the front of the queue for this offer. Often when volunteers are sought for downgrades, airlines will start the bidding process to encourage people to swap. They may start at $2,000, but by the time they've been found their full quota of volunteers, a bid may have risen by several thousand, in this case to $10,000. For the passengers willing to swap, it appears United matched the bid for the last passenger. This is unusual in itself, although no, not for the first time United has given out a huge sum in flight compensation. In March 2018, United allocated one lucky passenger $10,000 to get bumped from their flight but that was only one person. American Airlines went one better in January 2018 when it allegedly gave out as much as $250,000 in travel credit for a single flight, as reported from a view on the wing. However, this was divided between an excess of 50 passengers, with most receiving around $5,000 each, which, to be fair, I wouldn't grumble at that. However, some of these holdingmakers travelling to Hawaii, $10,000 in the flight credit is going to be tricky to use up. United's policy states that flights must be booked within a year of being issued the credit, although it's unclear whether the flights have also taken, uh, been taken within that period. Although Simple Flying has not seen these specific travel vouchers, previous recipients have said that no name changes were allowed under United's rules. This means that a specific person had to use up to $10,000 of flights within 12 months and can't therefore use it towards a family holiday or something similar. Our guess is a whole lot of this $100,000 will never be claimed and as such United will not be left out of pocket. What do you think it says here? What do we think, Nev? So if you're offered if you're offered $10,000 in compensation for going or sent to let's say ten thousand pounds just this round of ten thousand pounds for for moving from your first class bac into a uh premium bac which we have tried nev um mm -hmm. and you were offered this money i, I do believe you'd probably take them up oh yes i think so don't you of course people have got to remember that you know if an aircraft goes tech or, or whatever it is or, or one stuck down route somewhere it may not be possible to do an exact swap uh, for the same type of aircraft, or maybe the seat configuration may be different, you know, on two, uh, what would appear to be identical 330s, but perhaps they've been configured differently, for example. So you're always going to get that. But I think if there's, I mean, I would certainly take it. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind uh, being downgraded um, for, uh, for that, a five-figure sum in any currency, probably. But... Uh, yeah, I think that would be that would work for me. What do you reckon, Nev, that uh, Ryanair's compensation would be if you were downgraded from, say, an economy seat to an economy seat? 
with window. Oh, well, oh with a window. Oh, well, that makes the difference, doesn't it? Um, very little, I, I would have thought. Um, there, there is only one class of travel in Ryanair. Although <laughs> I think that there are obviously seat booking options these days and all the rest of it. But, but because all their aircraft are the same, uh, apart from they've just got one 737-700. Yeah. Is that right? In the business uh, configuration, but, yeah. Yeah, but all, all the rest are 800s NG types. Oh, don't forget, um, so, Nev, don't yeah. forget, don't forget, you've, you've got those those all-important overwing exit seats, which you do pay more for. Of course, yes, I'd forgotten that. Um, but, you know, I think it, it, on, on the mainstream, you know, legacy carriers, you're going to get this from time to time, and airlines have got to have a way of compensating people because, you know, let's face it, the, the difference between a business class where or a premium economy fare, as we know, is substantial, or can be. Um, so they, they've got to find a way of dealing with that. Just looking through the chat room here. Oh, they're, they're having a good chat about... Oh, uh, coffee. Coffee's just come up in the chat room. So that's always an important subject, especially yep. on the show here, <laughs> coffee. So, yeah. Nev, moving on to the next story, and uh, this one is uh, regarding something that... I've got a few of these in my office at home. And uh, there's something that I'm fairly sure a lot of people don't bother looking at. No. And actually, just a point of order, you shouldn't have any at home unless, you know, you've bought them. Because I, you I should purchased not them off taken. eBay. Did you? Right. Fair and they're enough. TriStar ones. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Then there's no more flying in, in Europe anyway. Um, so it's on the msn.com uh, website. Everything you ever want to know about airline safety cards. Well, I've, I've never really thought of that, I have to say. But, uh, um, so, MSN has partnered with The Points Guy for our coverage of credit card products. Um, and um, it says, please give us your attention as we show you one of the wor safest worlds there is, the world of the safety card. So says a clever Delta Airlines in-flight safety video. Commercial aviation is extremely safe. But as you read those safety cards, you might even admire the beautiful graphics. Most of them are the product of Interaction Research Company based in Olympia, Washington, and headed by CEO Tricia Ferguson. IRC has been designing the safety cards for the vast majority of the airlines around the world since 1971. Uh, we wor uh, we've worked with 80% of the carriers worldwide. Uh, over the last 50 years, Ferguson said in an interview, uh, the company designs and prints millions of cards per year with airlines like JetBlue and American currently amongst uh, IRC's major clients. The safety card is actually critical for takeoff. Uh, if you don't have a safety card on board in every seat, the plane is grounded, Ferguson said, citing FAA rules. Regulations also require that the safety card be the tallest item in the seat back pocket for ease of access. I did not know that, I must say. Um, IRC was founded in 1971 by Daniel Johnson, who had worked at Douglas Aircraft Corporation as an accident psychologist in the 1960s. He's a human factors and ergonomic psychologist, Ferguson explained. Uh, Johnson saw the need for passenger education and started IRC in his garage in Long Beach, California. Uh, in 1978, Dr. Johnson testified to Congress in favor of making safety briefing cards and videos mandatory throughout the industry. He knew that if passengers would, have be, would be educated, they could have saved their lives. There was too much emphasis on listening to crew instructions during an emergency, Ferguson said. The cards that IRC designs vary by aircraft and airline. 
uh, an Embraer E190's card is different from a Boeing 787's. The US Department of Transport regularly releases advisory circulars with required updates, Ferguson said. The cards change because regulations change, and so the onboard equipment uh, the cards describe, such as life vests, rafts, or emergency illumination of the floor. And when one airline purchases used aircraft from another airline, safety cards also need to change. Most of us uh, think that we are very educated, but every aircraft has so many variables, Ferguson said. To give you an example, the emergency exit doors on the Boeing 737-300 compared to the 900 have different operations. On the 900, you simply pull the handle down and the door opens outwards on a hinge. If you try to pull in the door in pull the door inwards like on the Dash 300, it will literally keep the door from opening. According to Ferguson, IRC's advantage is 50 years of designing cards based on how the human brain works. If you looked at the early safety information provided to passengers, almost all of the cards were very heavy on text and words and light on illustrations, she said. In contrast, IRC from the beginning researched how humans observe and consume information. There are formulas, colors, content considerations, flow and sequence considerations. How we read in the US, for example, from left to right and from top to bottom differs from countries in the Middle East where IRC's clients are also found. Whenever it designs a new illustration, IRC asks a third party agency to perform one-on-one -on, -one on the street tests with up to 50 individuals. The goal is to have the new artwork understood by at least 90% of these subjects. IRC can design cards using an airline's house style and look, that's the case for 80% of its clients, Ferguson said. Her company has a library of illustrations that can be modified and inserted into a template design. For graphic design nerds, the work is done with Adobe Illustrator and InDesign. IRC now owns a subsidiary printing company and can get proofs done within 24 hours and cards out in two weeks or less. But do passengers actually read the cards? There aren't any statistics, but clearly airlines want more people to read them. Take the case of one airline, which Ferguson said attempted humor in the late 1990s. The idea was to invite passengers to find a character like a ballerina or a magician hidden inside the pages of a safety card. It lasted about five years before the airline went back to the standard characters. They tried to make the card uh, the card novel and attractive to increase the number of people reading, she said, noting that it's a difficult task. Humor doesn't always translate well to such a serious subject. And I would uh, add that perhaps the, the BA safety video might be put into that uh, area as well. Personal opinion, of course. Um, it says, read your safety card before every flight. On a personal level, Ferguson says, I knew that IRC was making a difference when an Ethiopian, Ethiopian Boeing 767 crashed in 1996. It ran out of fuel after being hijacked and the crash was caught on video. Of the 175 people aboard, 50 survived. And I woke up on the morning of the crash and saw a news report saying uh, a survivor, saying the only reason that they survived was because they read our safety card. We know that the more educated you are, the higher the likelihood of survival and avoiding injury to you and others, she added. But does she read the cards on every flight she takes? Yes, she says emphatically, and apparently so do her seatmates. Last night I was on a flight and somebody asked me what I did for a living. Nine times out of 10 when I explain, they pull out the safety card and give it a read. And you should too, it says. Now, 
Um, this is all very interesting and it's all very laudable. But Carlos, what is the one thing that passengers do often when they leave the aircraft in an emergency? Take the safety car with them? Yeah, they can do, and some do, but they take their luggage with them. <laughs> they, they carry do. on luggage, don't they? Yeah, that's one of the things that obviously we do talk about on the show enough is that they do take their bags and luggage. Now, this is not included on the safety cards, not the ones I've seen, no. uh, of, you know, to to go in the overhead bin and take your luggage out and, um, you know, do your makeup or, or grab a pint before you go. Um, but unfortunately, some people do, which is also mm. a bit annoying. But um, I must say, uh, Nev, the chat room has been, uh, been having a damn good chat uh, about this in there. Uh, Neil Neil Lamborn says that uh, he's got one from an RAF TriStar. Mine's from a British Caledonian TriStar, actually, I will just say. Um, Stephen H says, what happens if there isn't one in each seat for landing? Does the flight get cancelled? Um, Lisbo Nelson has put something uh, very good, actually, at Nev. You'll, you'll appreciate this. Uh, add gin recipes to the safety card and everyone will open mm. it. Yeah, very true. Like that. Um, uh, Tony S says in the chat room that uh, there was controversy with the Wizz Air safety cards because it has a sexy looking female flight attendant on it. Nev? Oh dear. Well, that's a bit, uh, <laughs> 1970s, isn't it? I thought we, we'd moved on from there. Gosh. Uh, I'm just going, oh, there you go. Um, obviously, uh, oh. I'm just looking at. Uh, oh, just, sorry, just reading the chat room here. They're having a damn good chat about this. I have to say, the one, the cards, the two cards that I've got, like I said, one's from the uh, British Caledonian uh, TriStar, and the other one actually controversially is from a D, uh, DC-10 uh, British Caledonian TriStar. But um, as uh, Neil is, you know, saying in the chat room, if you go on eBay, you can't. There's, there's lots of. If you do collect these kind of things, um, admittedly, mine are purely based on the aircraft it came from but um you know you can get these um safety cars but don't take them off the aircraft if you're flying on these aircraft people because that's a bit naughty isn't it nev oh yes terrible disgusting have you, not, have you not have you not got a ba one uh, i haven't no i've not got a single ba um uh, safety card anywhere i've never mm. taken one off an aircraft yeah. however i'm <laughs> flying in a couple of weeks time so <laughs> Oh dear! And you didn't hear that here first, guys. Nev will be looking at the the uh, safety card and not bringing it home with him. But, ah, but in all seriousness, Nev, yeah. how many people do you honestly see when you board your flight? Because I do look, and I I honestly, hand on heart, do look at the safety card when I board the aircraft, regardless of how many times I've flown on these aircraft before. How many people do you see not bothering at all? Um, 95% of them probably mm. but I, obviously I can't see the whole aircraft but um, I do have I, I don't actually um, yeah I don't read the safety card on every flight but I do count the number of seats to the nearest emergency exit whether that is in front of me or behind me and I also look at the um, the build of my fellow passengers to, to decide whether I'm going to trample over them uh, in order to get out in an emergency, which I know is not, you know, part of the procedure. Um, but frankly speaking, if it all goes wrong, it's every man or woman for themselves, possibly. But, um, yeah, so I don't read the safety card every time, I have to say. Actually, Richard, uh, Richard Adams in the chat room makes a good point. Um, 
Imagine having a safety card from the original Comet, Nev. That would be oh, worth yeah. worth a few quid. Yeah. Uh, Neil Lamborn, obviously Neil, a very good friend of the show who uh, works on the Guppy. Uh, he says we should do a safety card for the Guppy. Now that would be one I'd like to see because you know there's there's quite a few ways into the Guppy. Some of them larger than others, Nev. As we uh, we, mm. had, we had a good tour around there, didn't we? Um, last what week. a great oh, aircraft that was! Yeah. yeah, no, great, great stuff. Um, so, um, but um, yes, so, but I didn't know. Uh, so I don't know if it's an FAA thing or a CAA thing or an EASA thing, but I didn't know that the largest item in the seat back pocket had to be the safety card in terms of its visibility above everything else. Although, just thinking about behave lights i've been on i don't think it is on, on everyone but i'll have a look in a couple of weeks when i'm flying next do you think Nev, that um the reason people don't bother looking at the safety cards is because more, most airlines nowadays run a safety video on the ife yeah i, I think there's there is that um and also perhaps the what's the word i'm looking for you know just the way people are about flying these days, a bit like getting on a train, isn't it? You know, did do you read the the safety information on on the door of your train last time you went on one? You know, probably not. Um, so, but of course, you know, when it does all go wrong, um, the cabin crew do need the cooperation of the passengers, uh, which is why they're quite aggressive in getting them out of the aircraft. Mm. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I would encourage people to read the safety card always. There you go, guys and girls. You heard it from uh, Neville Bounds. Make sure you read your safety card. Hmm. So that's where we're going to bring the commercial news segment to a close this week. And I'm going to hand things back to Nev, who is going to introduce, well, you know, it's the, the part of the show that uh, I think everyone waits for each week for sure. So, uh, Nev, I'm going to cry because it's the last one. I know. This is part nine of our uh, interview with Captain John Hutchison. Of course, John's flown, you know, over 70 different types of aircraft. Um, so you would expect us to, to round up with uh, another aircraft story. But in fact, Nick managed to get out of him some interesting information uh, with regard to uh, being all at sea. Your adoption of the uh, Royal National Lifeboat Institute as one of your favourite charities reflects your love of the sea. Should any of our listeners want to contribute in thanks for you giving your time to us today, how may they do so? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the RNLI has a website, and if they wanted to contribute via that website, I've never done it myself, but um, um, I'm sure it's possible. And if they wanted to record the fact that this was in response to listening to me rabbiting on about Concorde and other aeroplanes. Um, I'd be very delighted if that sort of recognition was given. Um, it might just amuse you all to know why uh, I do this for the RNLI. I used to have a yacht, which I shared with various other friends, and I'm sailing one October day from Lowestoft down to the River Deben, down the east coast. And it was a cracking day for sailing. Beautiful weather, uh, northeast wind, force four to five. We were going like the clappers. And with me, there was soon myself on board and a very good friend of mine who used to be my neighbor, uh, ex-naval officer, 
called George Wells, and his wife. Now, his wife's parents lived in Thorpe Ness, just to the north of Alborough. And we had arranged that we'd sail past Thorpe Ness at midday and wave to them. And by some miracle of maritime navigation, we got there more or less precisely at midday. And we're all waving furiously at this house and no sign of the elderly couple. So we're now going round and round in circles, sort of waving and waving and waving and waving. And eventually I go down below and I pulled out a, like a, I don't know, 50 million candle power lamp or something. And I fire this lamp up and I had to start the engine up before I did that because it would have drained the battery <laughs> flat in no time. So now picture the scene. There are four of us in the cockpit. Three of us are waving furiously, and the third one's trying to direct a fourth one's trying to direct this this lamp at the house. And eventually the couple come out and they wave to us. Brilliant. I put the lamp away, we carry on sailing. The next thing on Channel 16, Yacht off Alborough, Yacht off Alborough, this is Alborough lifeboat, do you read? And as this radio call came through, we saw this maroon rocket going up. It was the bloody lifeboat being launched. So with a heavy sinking heart, I picked up the handset and I said, Alborough lifeboat, I'm a yacht off Alborough, I'm read reading you loud and clear, go ahead with your message. And they said, we've had reports of a yacht in distress off Thorpe Ness. <laughs> I said, what was the nature of the yacht's distress? And they said, well, the crew were all trying to attract attention. And there's somebody flashing SOS with an oldest lamp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So I said, well, we've just sailed past Thorpe Ness. And we were indeed waving to some friends of ours who live there. I said, I can't account for the flashing light. I said, that must have been the sunlight off my gin and tonic. <laughs> <coughs> and they said, huh. They said, well, we've launched the lifeboat now, and we're going to have a search around, and please maintain listening watch. And about 15 or 20 minutes later, they called up again. They said, are you sure you're not in distress? And I said, I'm absolutely certain. We're having a lovely sail. I'm so sorry you've been troubled. And they said, oh, OK, we're going back to the lifeboat station. We can't find anybody. I said, no, I don't think you'll find anybody. I think we're the only, only people sailing. And that was that. And I felt a, this enormous sense of guilt. And I thought, what can I do about it? And I thought, well, I tell you what, I'll do talks for the, about Concord and raise money for the lifeboats. Because you've been trying to make up for it ever since. And I've been making up for it ever since. <laughs> Good for you. And well, I think I've just about repaid my debt. I hope so. Well, it's been an absolute delight talking to you. You have had a marvellous flying career, and I'm truly jealous of it. Um, I'm sure on behalf of all our listeners to the uh, Plain Talking UK podcast, and a personal thank you uh, for giving us your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed, John Hutchinson. Well, thank you, and it's been a great pleasure talking to you as well, Nick, and, and to meet you. So uh, I hope we shall see more of each other in the future. I, I hope so, too. Thank you very much anyway, indeed. Many thanks. So this is more than just a book about aviation. 
John Hutchison grew up in India, where his family lived, uh, through the country's troubles during the transition to independence. Anyone interested in Anglo-Indian history will find the first part a remarkable first-hand account of what it was like. John's personal life of joyous success and family tragedy punctuates the book, and it gives a very intimate picture of his life, and he provides us with a very honest and touching look into his world. His extensive flying career stretched from the Harvard to Concord and back again to his venerable Oster Aglet. It's a remarkable record of the path, not always smooth and straight, that he's taken through some of the most exciting times to exist in the short span of time that encompasses the world of aviation. His description of flying the wonderful aircraft that he has in his logbook are fascinating and enough to satisfy an enthusiastic aviator without overwhelming a casual reader. By his own admission, he's lived a charmed life, but he's done so with grace and good humor. The wind beneath my wings makes a great read. I have to say, Nev, and um, you know, I'm sure everyone uh, who watches the show would agree. Um, I think we're going to have to um, do. Where are we? We have to do a bit of bit of hand clapping to you, actually, Nev. Oh, and to, and to Captain Nick as well. Well, yeah, totally. Yeah, Nick. Nick's work was phenomenal on this uh, project, and um, yeah, as Richard Asm says in the chat room, how are you ever going to top an interview like that? And at this point, I don't have an answer, <laughs> but I shall continue looking out for uh, uh, aviators that want to talk to us and see if we can employ Nick's services one more time uh, to do something. But uh, yeah, John's life has been absolutely fascinating, and uh, he was so generous with his time. So we, as I said before, we were there nearly three hours filming, which is why we ended up with a nine-part series. Um, but one of the most important things he asked us to mention on the um, uh, on the podcast was to, uh, if you have a few spare pennies, um, don't necessarily send it to Plain Talking UK, but send it to the Royal National Lifeboat Institute uh, at uh, www.rnli.org forward slash donate um and uh, that will that will go a long way to uh, to helping john pay back <laughs> for his slight error um but these guys and girls are an absolutely fantastic job and uh, it's great that uh, to see john is not only was a skipper uh, in his aviation career but in his uh, uh, marine and maritime career as well so that, that was great wasn't it I have to say, there's an awful lot of uh, love in the chat room for uh, for the whole series, Nev. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'm just going to say thank you for uh, for all your work uh, along with Nick on producing that. It's been very enjoyable, and uh, just for the benefit of uh, the guys and girls who have loved the series, Nev, uh, are you going to be having this as a, a whole kind of group? together on a, on yeah, a separate we're going to uh, we'll put it on the youtube channel uh we'll make it a uh, a playlist so we'll put it on there so you can see all nine parts uh, or just choose the one you want to see and we'll put some links to that uh in the uh, twitter and facebook and instagram feeds as well and actually i'm sure john would like to see them well john's only seen the first couple so far so i'm going to uh, make sure that we uh, allow him to see all of it 
So moving on to the next part of the show, we're going to hand things over to Nev to introduce. Those of you may have noticed that Armando has been uh, missing on the show this week. That's due to the fact that Armando is enjoying very much his new job, flying uh, all those uh, flights across in his Pilatus PC-12. And uh, he couldn't fly, or couldn't be with us tonight because he's flying, unfortunately, but uh, he will be back. Uh, sometime soon. I don't know whether he'll be back next week, but he will be back soon. But he will be sending in various uh, video segments for us uh, to go and play on the show. But he has sent in something for us to play on the show this week. So, Nev, what is coming up mm. next? Well, this is really interesting. So, instead of the military business that we normally get from Armando, uh, we get an update on bad dingo air racing preparations for the 2020 racing season from Race 56 pilot. George Catalano. Hey, welcome to Bad Dingo. Almost have an engine back. Um, it's supposed to arrive tomorrow, actually. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that. It's been October, November, December, January, most of February. So, but it'll be worth it. So, There's George, what, what actually happened to the engine? Why did we have to send it off? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, Oh, I'm an old guy, so I don't, uh, I don't like flying around with things I don't know, especially when you're pushing it a bit. And uh, so what happened was we had an oil leak that uh, had been there since I bought the plane two years ago. And we slowly identified where it was, you know, valve covers and uh, push rod seals and oil pan gasket. And then finally there's still a leak and so we find it and it's a crack case. So it's near the through bolt between five and six and it's not very far from the cylinder base where the, all the bolts connect up. So I, uh, we'd watched it I'd stripped the paint away. We put by dipenetrant on it. We watched it for, you know, better part of nine months. And, um, after Reno last year, um, it uh, it just seemed like it was leaking a lot more. I don't know, you know, you know how that goes. You two drops of oil make one heck of a mess. So, <laughs> uh, when I took the cowling off post Reno, I set the cowling aside, not looking at it, and I did all my normal, you know, oil analysis and filter inspection and bore scope and checked the, you know, went through the whole nine yards. Everything was super fine except there was oil everywhere. And uh, I came to the conclusion that I didn't want to have this conversation with my wife while we were gliding down at, uh, you know, best glide speed, somewhere inhospitable. Say, hey, sorry, honey. <laughs> yeah, so, which to be fair is most of the West. Yeah, so I thought, you know what, it's just the heck with it. So take it out. So on Friday night, I decided, and Saturday night, it was gone. <laughs> and that was, uh, you know, basically in October beginning of October, I sent it off to Lycon and uh, they went through it, um, put a stage three cam. We did all the coatings and all the cool stuff, uh, high compression pistons, rebalanced everything, sent everything out. Everything was good, thank goodness. Um, flowed the cylinders and uh, what else did we do? We uh, cryoed everything and dynoed it. I'm not gonna tell you how much we saw on the dyno. Surprise! Yeah. Industry secret. Yeah, I'm happy. Um, 
you know, it's not a race engine. I didn't want a race engine because this isn't really a race airplane, but it's a competitive airplane. So I wanted it, the goal to be bulletproof. You want to throw 100 horse of nitrous? Don't worry about it. You want to run out of 2,900? Don't worry about it. That was the goal and not worry about the engine because it's made to run and, uh, and gone through. So this engine was an 03 and it had 800 hours on it. And you know how they, you know how they get, they just get tired. Yeah. Um, and they start leaking and they, and I start, you know, kind of looking around going, well, where, where's this go? Why does this look like that? And I, that kind of stuff drives me crazy. So I took the engine out and we sent it off. But the really cool part is basically we have restored the firewall forward. So I'm going to show you the firewall and tell you what I did. Um, we removed the engine mount and had it stripped and inspected and modified for a service bulletin. We had the nose gear removed and the drag link replaced with a new, more robust drag link. Um, I took all of the solenoids off the firewall and replaced all the wiring. Everything is labeled, everything is powder coated, and everything is ready to go. And we also built a nose gear closeout. The nose gear closeout, which is here, is designed to close the space. Um, it sits basically in here. This will take a second, but basically it goes down in here and covers the space where the nose gear comes up into mm -hmm. the tunnel. And it keeps air from going down in there. And it also is a better protection for fire. If you ever have a fire, it'll stop the fire from going into the nose gear tunnel, which is basically in the cockpit. So it's supposed to give you better speed, but it's also better cooling. And it's just smarter. The reason nobody builds them is, uh, without cursing a lot, I can tell you that it took 15 times more time than we thought. And <laughs> it's just like, it's an SOB to do. Very, very difficult. Very, very hard. Uh, I did a whole bunch of, you know, modifications on here of course but um all just to make it better and prettier and more sellable uh and smarter for me and then i also took all of the baffling and fixed it replaced it put on new baffle seal got it all labeled ready to go it is uh spectacular um painted the nose gear doors and Cerakoted the exhaust. It is ready to go on. Um, happy with that. Uh, the prop is sitting here, uh, ready to go. It only has 300 hours on it since overall, so it's fine. Um, we have new fire blanket going in the cowling, which I'm doing over there. And all new hoses. Um, everything labeled, ready to go. So, uh, Engine's supposed to be here Thursday, and we'll start on Saturday. Because um, it's going to, you know, you know how it goes. Yeah. It's going to take a day, but it'll take a week. <laughs> Anything, so, maybe, right? Multiply by five. So we had kind of said uh, earlier or sometime last year that March, give or take a couple of weeks, was kind of our deadline for, for getting ready mm -hmm. for PRS. So you think we're going to be ready? Yes, we'll be ready for PRS. Um, we have uh, the new intake tube 
I'm still waiting for a new one that is uh, a straight ram air with no filtered air. Um, but yeah, we, we used all of our time. <laughs> you know, we were really hoping to have an engine by December. Um, but when I got to Lycon, uh, I was like 45th in a row. And they are very, very busy. So with a lot of begging and cajoling and, you know, there's, you can't rush it just because you're not the only guy there and everybody wants their engine now. So yeah, that's just the way it goes. Um, but like I always say, I would rather have it done right. Um, fortunately, Desert Rat uh, let me use their airplane and uh, Joe Caraggio and I flew his, you know, on and off for 15 hours in the last few months. So at least I'm staying current and doing uh, formation work and all that kind of stuff because, you know, it's terrible not flying, especially doing what we're doing. So, um, yeah. I'm feeling actually pretty good about all of it at this point. Um, but, uh, I'm really feeling good about this because this I'm so happy with everything is labeled. Everything is new and everything works and there's no more magic. I know where it all goes and I know how it's supposed to work. <laughs> so, so, so now that we got, a new engine coming in. We've got all these little mods that are each going to make a, a tiny little bit of a difference. We, I think we were pretty happy with uh, your performance and the airplane's performance last year. So what are we shooting for this year? Well, all things being constant, which they're not, who knows who's showing up next year. Um, I'm really trying to get move up the ladder of the silver. I know there's no prayer being in the gold. I don't really want to be in the gold. Another hundred thousand would put you in the gold and at the back of the gold. So what's the point? You know, this is uh, our everyday flying airplane. So as we've always said, this is not a race plane. It's a plane we race. So we need a good, reliable airplane that we can use all the other weeks of the year. The goal is to give Ernie and Vicky a hard time. I don't really see any chance of catching Breathless. Uh, he's just got a little too much going for him. But if I run Nitrous, could be different. I, I'm pretty sure Conrad's going to be using some extra tricks this year. So he's going to be even going faster. Um, and I promise not to say anything about that. But uh, if I could pass Vicky and stay in front of Ernie, you know, it's all in where you qualify, of course. And, and those two are, you know, they're A++ pilots. So it doesn't matter how much horsepower you have. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you can't stay on the course and fly it right, it doesn't really matter. I've proven that to myself uh, running nitrous in Little Dingo. <clears throat> all you got to do is look away for a second and all that, everything you gained, you blow on a turn. So it's, uh, it's tricky business running nitrous. Um, as long as you don't have to be twizzling with it and messing with it and everything's running fine, then it works. You know, otherwise it's not worth doing if you're only picking up five miles an hour and you're not really flying well, you know? And again, I've already figured that out the hard way. Yeah. Well, that just yeah. goes to show you, you know, we've talked about it last year where it's a, it truly is a brotherhood and a sisterhood out there on the course and everybody's just eking an extra couple knots, but it's a, the same folks that, that you trust, uh, year after year and, and you learn how they fly they learn how you fly and it's it's about getting ahead of one or two of them isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah i know that uh 
it'll be a it'll be a fun uh, good hard year you know and so the engine will do better and i can run it a little harder and it's putting out more horsepower for sure stay on the course do the best you can and don't make mistakes so that's way easier said than done you know only takes a half a second to look away at the wrong time for something and you look up and the pylon's on the wrong side of the cowling and you're like huh <laughs> so that's just <laughs> not cool <laughs> like what's that doing over there um so we've seen that happen um but yeah i'm 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 excited uh because i feel really good about the plane and this is what will be my fifth year in sports class so you know it's starting to fall into a little bit of a rhythm the t6 racing from when i was a kid is completely irrelevant at this point and uh everything now is just about doing what we are in this airplane so i think it's uh i think we'll do well you know but you know that's not to say that three other people don't show up with turbocharged whatevers and they're pushing everybody out of the gold into the top of the silver and you know <laughs> next thing yeah. you know you're in the bronze and that's racing right so that's okay well, that sounds good well so we'll do another one of these updates as soon as that engine comes in we get it installed and we get that uh that air, air, airplane back in the air and then next on the calendar is getting ready for prs pretty much so that'll be mm -hmm. mid-june time frame early mid-june and then from then on it's just tweaking to uh to september isn't it yeah we have uh possibly run an adi or at least spray bars on the uh, oil cooler um, i've made firewall cutouts for those uh, they're up here right here ready to go right now they're blocked off but uh they're ready to go we don't have any work to do firewall forward you know just hook it up go to town and it's going to look really pretty well that's the important <laughs> part is you got to look good when you're racing <laughs> well you know if you're gonna especially if you come in dead last and you take a cowlick off and you're like but, but it's really pretty <laughs> that's awesome all right well we'll we'll leave it here for now and uh as always, go check out Bad Dingo Air Racing on Facebook and all the regular uh, social media websites. So we'll catch up with you here in a couple of weeks, George. Thank you. See so, ya. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. A uh, big thanks to uh, Armando for sending that in for this week's show. And it's safe to say, Dev, um, <laughs> I was waiting, sitting there waiting for that cigar to come out at some point during that interview. Yes, it certainly sounds as though that was going to be the, the happening, doesn't it? But uh, what a fascinating story, wasn't it? It was really interesting. Um, I'm not really, I'm not really into air racing. I certainly like watching it, but I, I don't know anything about it at all. So it was interesting to hear from his point of view, uh, the sort of stuff they get up to. I must admit, it was one of those things that I've always wanted to go and watch and never had the chance to do it either through there not being anything like that in the UK or through work, but... I, I really would love to go and watch something like, you know, the, I think they've, they've stopped the Red Bull Air Races now, but um, a kind of, you know, a, a aircraft racing thing, that would be awesome. Obviously, they, I think they only do it in the US, Nev. Mm. Yeah. But definitely one of Yeah, them. have they stopped the Red Bull Racing here in the UK? Yeah, because they mm. used to have it around uh, London City Airport, didn't they, uh, back in the day? That was uh, quite interesting. So um, there's, um, I think, um, 
I think I'm right in saying that Paul Bonhomme, who's a um, 747 captain for British Airways, uh, practices not very far from where I live because I can hear him <clears throat> sometimes during the week or at least one of his colleagues making an awful lot of noise uh, a, f- a few nautical miles away. But, um, yeah, I mean, the skills these guys and girls have got is absolutely fantastic, isn't it? It looks like something you'd like to try as well, Nev. You know, have a back seat in one of these um, aerobatic racing aircraft, or do you not think you'd have the stomach for it? Uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, I have, I've got, I've got a very good stomach for lots of turbulence and wind shear in regular commercial aircraft, and I can certainly recommend flying with Al in his PA twenty eight or in uh, with um, uh, John over in Canada in his aircraft or Chris Pratt or any one of those. But I'm a straight and level guy. I've got to say, the, the, all this aerobatic lark just you know, would not suit uh, my constitution at all. I have to say, I think the uh, the one time that I've had the chance to, to fly in, not so much an aerobatic aircraft, but uh, you remember meeting Dan over at Seething at the uh, airfield mm-hmm. with his long easy. Oh, yeah, and his uh, <coughs> long easy. In yes, the long yeah. easy, you know, that the, 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 I had a chance to, uh, to go, you know, sit back seat in the long easy with Dan. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's it's it's... Look it up. The Long Easy is is one heck of a what should we say? Interesting aircraft, I think. Oh, we did a, a, a video interview. Seize. Yeah, we did a video interview with him at uh, Seething. Was it last year? Uh, I think I'm right in saying. And uh, yeah, he talked very passionately about the aircraft, didn't he? So uh, yeah, fascinating piece of hardware. Uh, but uh, yeah, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I think when I had that chance to fly in that aircraft and, and uh, Dan took me up in that, and we, we didn't kind of do any loop-the-loops or anything like that, but uh, we had uh, that that kind of um, higher-than-normal G load for me. And as, mm. as someone who's normally used to a kind of Cessna 150 kind of barely G, um, you know, pulling those manoeuvres in that aircraft, and uh, I just, I am, you know, Cannot I can't you know give enough praise to these guys who do this kind of sports flying and and pulling these G's and that you just don't bring up half of what you've eaten you know a few hours before. Yes, but as I say, um, even when I was younger, you know, when I was in my twenties or whatever, I, I'm you know I've just been really averse to that kind of thing. So fairground rides and that sort of stuff just did not appeal to me at all. I mean, I've been on one once and, and that was enough for me. So certainly aer- um, acrobatics and aerobatics are not something which uh, I would like to do. No. So before we wrap up the show then for this week, we have got a special announcement to make actually for oh, yes. uh, one, of our, one of our listeners, one of the very good friends of, our, of the show. And uh, I got a, a little message this week from uh, a certain Sophie who, uh, along with uh, this listener, David, hello Dave Corson, uh, moved across to Spain. Uh, I think it was last year they moved over to Spain for um, for David to, to uh, continue his, his flight training because, as we all know, learning to fly here in the UK costs about £6 billion a day. Um, but uh, the announcement we've got to make is that... Uh, Apparently, uh, David has uh, completed his instrument rating in Spain uh, on his quest for his commercial pilot's uh, status. So uh, he's, uh, he also said that he was very much pleased to get the whole thing out of the way. So I think uh, the instrument rating, I think, is one of those things 
that uh, is not uh, it's not something that I dabbled in, but uh, it, it, through looking at the textbooks, it's quite involved. So, uh, on behalf of everyone here at PTUK, a big uh, congratulations to uh, to David on, on completing his instrument rating over in Spain. It'd be interesting to actually get David back on, Nevin, just to sort of go over mm. how things are learning to fly. Obviously, the weather's better in Spain, but it might be nice to see yes. uh, just um, the differences in learning to fly. Uh, somewhere where it's probably a lot cheaper. What do you think, Nev? Oh, yeah, definitely. No, I think it'd be really good into I think it'd be very interesting to hear his journey so far and how he's got on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, instrument rating is serious stuff, isn't that? So, uh, no, I'm really, really delighted for him. That's brilliant news. Yeah, so all the best to you, David, and it'd be good to uh, to have you on the show. So if you are listening, get in contact with us and uh, we'll uh, beam you in the studio live from uh, yeah. your Spanish resort. So, Nev, start wrap things up. What's uh, what's going on in the world of Mr. Bounds for this coming week? Well, I think, what should we do next week? I think, yes, London is the uh, destination of choice for me for most of next week, what I'll be doing for work. Um, oh, one thing I forgot to mention, uh, whilst I was at the uh, A320 simulator last week filming, I did ask the, the lads if I could try an ILS for myself Ooh. with a um, uh, side-stick controlled aircraft, because I've never done that before. I've flown the you know, 737-800 uh, simulator, before but never an a320 and i have to say it was an absolute delight and even the captain that i was flying with said to me that although it's my first go at it he has flown with some uh first officers that have got 2000 hours on the clock that, that weren't as good as i was and, but of course the difference being was there was no wind you know it was <laughs> completely uh cav okay day and it was um you know it was it was pretty straightforward tell you what though when you get down to about sort of less than a thousand feet you know about 800 feet uh, off the deck um uh, that side stick controller becomes a little bit critical so every you know up until that point it's, it's pretty straightforward but you've got to you know you cannot over control the aircraft because once you start doing that then you're all over the place but uh, no i really enjoyed it as my, as my first experience of um flying uh an airbus um so in the simulator so that was really really great so i'm very very uh, happy and uh, pleased uh, with that so are you allowed to, to divulge in what the, the filming was about, Nev, or is it, was it a, a specific type of thing for the... For the well, client? it's those, yeah, it's the fellows at the AC20 podcast, Matt and Andy. Um, I'm helping them with a new series that they're launching for uh, more training. You may know that they do online uh, training, um, at, which is available on a specific app, and you can sign up to that. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, so we've recorded a, a lot of content for the next lot of training. So uh, Matt and Andy will be putting that together. Um, but yeah, it's turned out to be a very, very successful venture for them. And uh, I'm absolutely delighted to uh, to be involved with them. So uh, no, it's really, really good. So um, we get to do all sorts of interesting things, but we did cram an awful lot in, in one day. I think we probably did about a day and a half's worth of filming in a, in a very long day in the end. Um, but um, yeah, it was really, really worth it. Do you not find Nev when you're sitting in that sim? You obviously you've got the you've got the main control centre where they can program all the bits and pieces into the sim. Did you not have the urge just to kind of tap in a few engine failures, flap failures, hydraulic failures while you're sitting there? Or uh, 
yes. I mean, the, the, the number of uh, options that you've got on the control panel is absolutely huge. Um, but it's very interesting as well. Whilst I was filming, because I was, you know, directly behind the centre pedestal on, on the A320. Um, so this is a fixed base simulator, so, so the thing's not moving around at all. But of course, the peripheral vision that you get from these simulators and the projectors that are right on the edge, they play massive havoc with your balance. So when they're in a, you know, a, a turn on to finals or joining the localizer and the aircraft's banking you are banking with it you know you find yourself over an angle uh, because it plays tricks with your balance so the, the realism even on those fixed base sims is is fantastic and also um the graphic quality and, and you may have heard john hutchinson say during the concord series how vestigial and very basic his training was compared to the graphic display systems of, of modern simulators so uh, you, you really are you know there and we put the guys through some you know some awful failures um, but you know for the best part of eight or nine hours so they came out of it very tired indeed because it is hard work there's no question about it for them so uh, but it was great to see um, you know what what they do um, when they're doing you know, emergency checklists and the things that they have to memorize uh, and the QRH, the quick reference handbook uh, information, that kind of stuff. So it was really, really interesting to see it all. Uh, Neil Lamwall just says in the chat room, is there not just the one button, Nev? Or, you know, take off and landing. Uh, well, there should be, shouldn't there? But no, there. In fact, actually, do you know how many buttons there are in A320? I can tell you because uh, at the simulation place, they had put it up on uh, a um, flip chart. There are 490 buttons on the flight deck of an A320, really? not just one. Yep. How about that? There you go. For those of you listening to the show, I mean, I mean that that is one heck of a bit of information there, Nev. I will say. Yeah. Now, had you not tuned in tonight, you would not have known that, would no, you? No, no. The, the listeners will be safe in there in the fact that that uh, they know that information now. But well, but no. Yeah. Are you, are you going? You got any more plans for any more uh, videoing with the guys from uh, the A320 podcast? Um, well, there's poor old Matt as uh, Matt at uh, the A320 podcast. He's got an awful lot of editing to do, so I don't do any of the editing oh. for them. Uh, they they do it themselves, so uh, they'll they'll be very busy for many many weeks yet. Um, so that's why we tried to crack out all of the content in one go this week because we didn't want to have to go back. And of course, the guys you know do rent the simulators for real, so it's a lot of money to, to do that mm. for a day. Um, but um, yeah, it was it was really really good, and uh, the, also the people that we rent the simulator from are very very hospitable as well and very nice bunch of folks so it's a delight to work with them was that far for you to go nev oh she's in cambridge just by the airport just at cambridge awesome. airport so uh, yeah that was good so easy to get to and i'd been there before uh, with the guys previously so it was uh, it was really really good yeah oh. well i'm very jealous nev i i'm still still to have a go in a in, a, in an airbus uh, sim um, or any any Airbus Sims. We'll have to get you along one day, won't we? Yes, yeah, it'd be yeah. nice to have a little go in that. See what they are. See what it's like to have a big mm. space in front of you, you know, with no nothing, no sticks. Yes, and plenty of space for your lunch, that's yes. for sure. Yes. So this, what, what am I doing? What am I doing this week? What am I doing this week? Uh, I don't know actually mm -hmm. what we've got on the plan on the books for this week. We're we're quite busy. It's um, starting to get in towards the the uh, exhibition season for us. So we've got lots of exhibitions coming up for the companies we do <coughs> exhibition work for, and uh, lots of other trips. Uh, a lot of our drivers have been going into London this week, which has been rather exciting for them. Um, I, mm. I happen to just 
have, or be uh, be the person to give them the job and send them out because I just have no, <laughs> I have no interest at all in driving in London, especially in a truck. So, um, but apart from that, I shall be relaxing uh, this week and uh, doing a few jobs and stuff at work and uh, enjoying enjoying my job as I have done, as you do as well now, Nev. Yeah. It's nice. To, we're very fortunate, aren't we, um, to have jobs that we yes. really like doing. I know. Makes, makes <laughs> it's, it took me long enough, but I got there in the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So don't forget to uh, join us again next week for the show. We are going to wrap up things now. But social media, Nev, where can people oh, yes. find us on social media? Well, we like a bit of social media, so all you've got to do is search, search any social media for Plain Talking UK. Uh, we've got our WhatsApp number, of course, uh, which you can send texts or pictures to. It's plus 44-757-224-9166. That's plus 44 for the UK, 757-224-9166. You can email us at podcast at plaintalkinguk.com or the website is www.plaintalkinguk.com. And if you want to send an email to any of, any of us individually, it's Carlos, uh, Nev, or Matt, or Armando at plaintalkinguk.com. And then we will uh, pick it up and reply to you. Uh, so you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, you'll get notifications when we go live, and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room. So go to www youtube.com and search for plain talking uk and don't forget as well if you do your shopping on amazon which i think we all do i i know i spend far too much time on amazon and money as well each week buying random, mm. random things mostly cables as i did this week i went on to amazon and purchased uh, a cable a satellite cable i need extension cable at home nev so i thought well mm. i'll use the ptuk link on the website to to purchase through there so i done my bit uh, done my bit yeah know, for the thing yeah but, uh, yeah click on the uh, on our on our home page you'll see the link there for amazon which you can click on and uh, it doesn't cost you anything but uh, does help us every now and again with a little little bonus from amazon so there we go so that's it for this week's show then i'm going to say a big thanks to everyone who has joined us in the youtube chat room this evening um you know it's been a busy night for many people in the uh, chat room tonight so but a big thanks to everyone who has joined us in there and also not forgetting as well everyone who downloads the show each week as an audio version uh through itunes stitcher podbean and all those other millions of, of apps you can get for your android and ios device so big thanks to you all and don't forget as well if you want to get your picture on the wall behind me here which there's actually nev oh there we go there's sorry never didn't mean to poke it oh and oh. armando is here there's and some intruder there's an, an intruder <laughs> and uh, welcome uh, onto the show before we wrap up hello to you armando hi guys have we started yet yeah oh yeah we're live i must admit that is a awesome view armando a very big treat for everyone watching on youtube right now for those of you watching on youtube take yourselves over there if, you, if you're listening to the audio show because we've got a very special view right now haven't we armando where are we uh we are in baltimore washington international airport as you can see, I am at uh, at the terminal, and it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a great view. There we go. We've got the full screen view for everyone to see. How's things going, Armando? Are you? I'm guessing you're busy. 
Uh, yeah, just got a little 10-minute uh, break, so I just thought I'd dial in and say hi to everybody and, uh, and jump right off. Oh, that's really... Oh. Oh, I don't suppose we. I don't suppose we could have a quick, quick tour of the aircraft, or is that uh, uh, not allowed? Yeah, I could probably all do it from the same seat. So here is the flight deck. Now, most of these Pilatuses are actually set up pretty much the same. Sorry, I'm getting the uh, the camera backwards here. So we've got uh, pretty good setup with two Garmin 750s, uh, touchscreen GPSs, full. Nav IFR capable with coupled approaches, and then on the back we've got an entire first class configuration. So loving the wood trim, the wood yeah, very nice. Trim. Yeah, are they um, as the Pilatus that Pilatus certified for single pilot operation, uh, Armando? They are. Yeah, the Pilatus is a single pilot airplane. The airline is also certified to do single pilot, but we. Ooh don't like to do it so we operate with a two-pilot environment sure yeah very cool excellent i must say amanda i'm loving the uh the seat there that looks incredibly comfortable mm, it yeah, does they're nice. comfortable for about the first four hours by by the eighth one yeah uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go everyone a, a quick uh, a quick look into uh well armando's uh, amazing uh life there on board the aircraft thanks for dialing in armando very much appreciated indeed sure thing guys i hope it was a great show i'll uh can't wait to listen to it here in a couple hours oh by the way loving the tie as well very very nice very uh, mm. very posh yeah i'm always just trying to look as good as matt <laughs> <laughs> so we are gonna uh, finish up the show now then so you can stay there armando you can uh, give us all the wave as well so from me here in the PTUK studios, from Nev over in the NevTech studios, and from Armando in the Pilatus PC12 studios. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your Sunday roast. Let's all say goodbye. See you guys. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.